Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by SAIT's School for Advanced Digital Technology, an innovation hub disguised as a post-secondary institution where creators, educators, and learners like you are coming together to transform tomorrow. Boost your skills with tech boot camps and carve out a new career path through dynamic, future-forward courses. The world of work is evolving. Future-proof yourself with SAIT's School for Advanced Digital Technology. This episode is hosted by Peter Baudouet. Peter manages strategy and partnerships for an innovative alliance of energy companies committed to reducing environmental impacts through collaborative R&D efforts. Peter worked for more than 20 years in Asia, building and investing in a variety of businesses. His most recent role outside of Canada was with the World Wildlife Fund, where he was the chief executive officer of WWF China, based in Beijing. Prior to that, Peter lived in Hong Kong for 15 years working in the technology industry. And you know what happens now. Peter has a conversation with Umer Tazim. Take it away, Peter. Thanks, Al. Good morning, everyone. My name is Peter Bodoy, and I'll be your host of today's Rainforest podcast. Today's guest is Umer Tazim. And Umer is the founder of Embold, an influencer marketing company based in Calgary. So welcome, Umer. Hey, thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about Embold and and what problem do you solve? Yeah, for sure. So we're um, a Canadian influencer marketing platform. Uh, I started the business in 2018. Uh, At the time, I was also working in marketing and influencer marketing was something that kept coming up from my clients. And every time I try to help them out with it, we were always coming across the same issues. There was a lot of influencer agencies in this space. And so we went and signed up for some agencies but uh, they primarily work with larger influencers, like macro influencers or celebrity influencers, which are quite expensive to work with. They often have like high minimum budget requirements. Uh, and also larger influencers are not very uh, effective for reaching a local audience or a very niche audience. And so that wasn't a, a good solution for us. Uh, so then we went and signed up for some platforms. And while from a technical perspective, they were really great uh, they were also primarily enterprise-focused solutions, and uh, but we did find one that we signed up for, but they also lacked the Canadian influencers on there. So we ran one campaign, and by the time we came around to the second one, we didn't have enough influencers for my clients. And so that's where the idea for Embold came. We saw uh, a gap in the market for the micro-influencer space, primarily in Canada. There was a lot of a lot of businesses that had either thought about running influencer campaigns or had tried influencer campaigns and just didn't work out for them. And so that, that was a niche that we wanted to solve for. That's great. So it, it was really out of necessity. So that, that's really interesting. And it grew out of, out of that. So, you know, the term micro influencer, you know, not everybody's familiar with that. So I read that you have over 5,000 influencers, which is, you know, a huge number. What's a profile of a typical micro influencer? What, who are these people? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, micro influencers are people just like you and I. They're just everyday people that are not 
creating content for a living. They're uh, they're just kind of documenting their journey and uh, and talking about their day to day. So, and from a numbers point of view, it's, we, we have a requirement of minimum three thousand followers. Where micro influencers will go all the way up to a hundred thousand followers. Uh, an ideal influencer for us would be somewhere between ten and thirty thousand followers on Instagram, where they still have a large enough audience that we can run a campaign at scale. But their audience is not too large because one of the things that we found is that as the audience gets larger, it also gets broader. So it's not very effective for, for example, our clients that want to reach uh, someone in uh, Red Deer or Victoria or something like that. It, uh, we, we really want those micro influencers because 40, 50 or up to like 60% of the audience would normally be from there. So, so talk me through, I'm interested just to know more, like what, what does an influencer campaign look like, right? Is it a normal marketing campaign? How does it actually work and what does it look like? So uh, when it comes to influencer marketing, we always start with uh, the audience that you want to reach. So uh, we work with advertisers. So first, influencer marketing is not not for every advertiser. It's for ideal for brands that are looking to reach a consumer audience, primarily an audience under 50, because on Instagram, the analytics start to drop off for, for the audience beyond that. So with those two things in mind, we normally start off with who's the audience that the advertiser wants to reach. Uh, and from there, uh, we, we work backwards. So like, well, the location, the demographic, the interest, everything like that. Uh, we, we start from finding the influencers uh, who can reach that audience. And then from there, we go to the most ideal influencers from the brand. So that's the first part of any influencer campaign is just aligning uh, with the right influencers. Uh, from there, we get the influencers to start creating content for uh, the brands. Uh, that content will go through like an approval process where brands will review all of the material that's going out just to make sure that it aligns with their requirements and uh, everything like that. From there, once the content is approved, the influencers will share the content and uh, share it with their audience. That's the ultimate goal of an influencer campaign is to have influencers promote the, the brand's message or to document their experience with the brand, everything like that. Uh, and then lastly, where, where we come in is we we manage the entire experience for, for the brands and then ultimately we'll compile the reporting, the data, the analytics of the performance of the campaign and everything like that. That's great. So it was interesting because when I, I was researching for this interview, I, I looked at, you know, influencer marketing, what is it, how does it work? And, and and it's sometimes misunderstood. Sometimes it gets bad press in a way. But but can you tell me what are some of the biggest myths people have about influencer marketing? Yeah, for sure. You know, one of the things I saw when I got into the space is that, yeah, this, this is a messy space. There's a lot of things uh, that are going on that have kept advertisers from, uh, from getting involved with influencer marketing. The first is the, the concept of like fake influencers or fake audiences. I think that's one of the biggest issues with influencer marketing and one that like we're really trying to solve through technology that we're building. So what we've done is we've built this really cool bot detection uh, system where we monitor uh, an influencer's audience uh, changes or the growth over time because you know we have enough data to know what our organic account should be growing at. Uh, it's a very predictable pattern. There shouldn't be sudden spikes or drops in engagement or audiences. And so we track for things like that. So uh, we'll track to see how their audience, the audience has changed over time, as well as how engagement is growing over time. That's a great indicator of if, if someone is 
uh, if someone has purchased followers. Uh, another, another thing that we do is we also look at where their audience is relative to where they are. So if someone is based in Ontario or Alberta and all of their content is about their, their life in Ontario or you know their work and their travel and everything like that, but their audience is somewhere halfway across the world, uh, that's usually another sign of uh, someone that has purchased a following. So there's things like that. I think that's the initial hurdle that the advertisers have to get over is how do I know that this is actually someone uh, who is a real influencer? One of the challenges with uh, influencer marketing is that a lot of this data is not available publicly. Like you can't just go to someone's profile and say, who is their audience? Where are they from? How is this, how is this account grown over time? Because all this stuff is private data. But uh, for us, one of the requirements we have for every influencer is when they sign up, we ask them to link their account to our platform and we monitor their account over time and we consistently remove influencers from the platform as well. Just to make sure that any influencer who's on our platform is a quality influencer and their data is easily accessible by advertisers. So any advertiser can go on and see who this uh, influencer is and uh, everything like that. And their audience. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you said with, with the audience. And I, I want to just ask you about a scenario because you, you mentioned something a little earlier when you said, you know, even for who's this targeting, if it's more of a B2C type of thing, it's for under people under 50 because they are the ones who have Instagram accounts or rather the older 50s don't have, have that. And, and and I came across a scenario recently and I, I just found it interesting where I'm the, I was on the board of a small company and many of the board were people in our 40s and 50s, right? This demographic who don't actually use social media. And and we were reviewing the marketing campaign and one of the board members was connected and, and said, you know, should we really be, you know, posting twice a week or should we be, you know, doing this and, and questioning the marketing campaign? And it, it became very evident that in some ways, a lot of the people making decisions on this social media don't have a clear are not active users. Right. So in some ways, like your customers may not be clear about the service you offer. So what are some of the biggest mistake customers make or that they're, it's holding back your customers from achieving the results they want when they're using influencer marketing? I totally see where you're coming from, and, and uh, I agree with you. I think influencer marketing is a very new concept, and you know, it's like I said, it's already quite messy on top of it. Um, and so, for for us, one of the, like that's why we always start with like, can we actually reach the customer that the audience wants to reach? And from there, it's just about educating the customer and walking them through that entire process. You know, one of the things we always ask our customers to do is to trust the influencer. Uh, this is someone who has built up an audience. They know what it takes to engage their, their audience. And so uh, while they're very protective of their brand, they know what, uh, uh, what they want to get across. The influencer also knows how to engage uh, their audience. And so uh, for us as in bold, we see our job as being kind of like the mediator to, to be able to build that relationship uh, with the influencers and with the clients to know that uh, how, how does someone uh, with a corporate background, uh, how are they able to work with someone who probably maybe has never had a corporate background and doesn't, doesn't know how to, how to work in that environment. And so that's what, what we're there for at our company. We have, we have a fully managed solution where we'll jump in with the client, build out the entire campaign brief, build out the objectives and messaging, everything like that, uh, and then work with the influencers to make sure that they can deliver on that as well. That's great. That's great. So I, I, I want to talk about your innovation journey today because we've been talking about the product, what you guys do, how Embold works with your customers. And, and, and I want to just talk about, 
you know, because you've been at this for a while, right? So from what I understand is you went through one of the platform programs in 2018. Can you tell me a little bit about the resources you used in the ecosystems, accelerators and perhaps some of the public funders, et cetera? Just tell us a little bit about that journey. For sure. You know, whenever I look back at our, our journey as a company, I was I always think of us as a great example of of all the resources that are in place. Because for me, I started the business in 2018. I had no idea where to go. And so uh, I, I actually came across a startup Calgary post and uh, went to one of their, uh, uh, they used to do like in-person coffee meetings. And so I just went to one of those sessions uh, and I met with uh, one of their program coordinators. They just told me about the ecosystem and right away, you know, she pulled out her laptop, started making notes and before I even got home that day, I had three different emails to three different uh, people in the community that they wanted me to connect with. And, you know, from, from there, I, I got introduced to Platform Calgary. Uh, it was called, uh, I think it was just called, I, I forget what they were called before Platform Calgary, uh, but I know the program was called Junction 31. And so um, I got introduced to them, went through that programming. And uh, by the end of that programming, I was introduced to Alberta Innovates and went through uh, we got some early funding from there to build out our initial product. So uh, whenever I look back at our journey, I, I think back to, to that uh, that entire process and how all those three re, uh, organizations just perfectly aligned for us from Startup Calgary to Platform Calgary to Alberta Innovates and, and, and so on. So I feel very fortunate to have started a company here because I, I wouldn't have known where to go or, or how to go through that entire process. Right. So. So, yeah, that, that was amazing for us. Well, that's great. So you've had a great journey and I guess, you know, exciting times ahead because I guess I did want to ask you about uh, fundraising, right? Because I understand you're about to go into a seed round. So what, what what's the next step in that area? Yeah, totally. So for us at Embold, like uh, when I started the business, uh, I didn't have a co-founder. It was just me. And while we got that initial funding from uh, from Alberta Innovates, it was one of their like I think it was called their uh, the Calgary Innovation Coalition. We we had, I think, their bridge voucher, which gave us an initial amount to, to go work with the service provider to build some initial product. But after that, we because I didn't have a co-founder, I actually ended up working on my business during the day and then working in the evenings and on the weekends to to fund my business and uh, even my first employee that I hired. I was just paying them through my my other other job that I was working in the evenings and stuff. So you were subsidizing the uh, subsidizing the company with your night your your sideline. Okay, okay, yeah, which is great. A real bootstrap story. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you know, but from there we we got some great customers and got some uh, revenue and and start to grow the business. Now we're at uh, I think we're at like nine or ten people on our on our team, which is which is really great. Uh, but now it's really about how do we take this from here and and really scale it up. We we found some niches that we're getting some great traction in, and and we're growing our our, our fully managed business, which is almost like a like an agency style. Uh, we get involved with the customers, build that out. And then on, in addition to that, we're, we're uh, launching our SaaS product. And so uh, now it's about, like we've, we've built this great traction with, uh, with the minimal team, funded through the business, funded through uh, revenue and everything like that. And how do we scale it up? And so that's where the idea for doing a seed run, we're, we're raising about $3 million here and we're hoping to close it out by August. And it's very simple. We want to... Uh, Keep doing what we're doing, but but on, on a larger scale when it comes to technology development and as well as like we want to hire some business development operations and things like that really, really take this to the next level. 
Yeah. So, so if I understand correctly, the investment will be used to augment the platform, the SaaS platform. You're going to get some stats, staff, some BD people. A question then, I mean, as you, as you source up for resources, I mean, obviously you, you still have to get the money, which is, you know, you'll be doing that raise. What about for resources? What's the hardest resource to find? Are you having, you know, is it a challenge finding people who can program or is it hard to find BD people? What's the skill set that that's the hardest to find for you? Yeah. Uh, for, for us, the, Technical talent has been tough. We recently brought on a product manager, which was a really great addition to our team because it really took our product to an entire, like another level. But before that, it was talking to people for months. And, you know, it's hard to compete with uh, when you're a startup with some of the larger traditional oil and gas companies or some of the larger uh, tech companies in the city uh, because they have a a much more comprehensive like compensation and benefits and everything like that. And and so I think when it comes to technical talent, uh, it's, it's much harder to find than some of the other like sales or business development operations talent. That's one of the things that we're, we're looking at. And primarily the main focus of our race is uh, to be able to uh, hire, uh, hire and then retain some great talent on the technical side. That's great. That's great. So so I guess is I mean, I'm just I always recognize. I mean, like you said, when you were just starting out, you were doing your your embold by day and you were actually working at night to subsidize the build. Right. So, I mean, and building a business is hard. So can, can you tell us about a time when you thought, looking at this business and you go, goodness, there's such an opportunity here, I, but it's just, it's so big. How am I going to resolve it? Can you show, like, what are some of the biggest problems you're facing now as you build? Yeah, uh, I think one of the things that always kept me going is, you know, whenever I came across a challenge where I was like, you know, it's so easy to quit right now. And I didn't, it, it just got so much easier after that. Like, especially when COVID came around and uh, we went from, 2020 January was our best month. February, we beat January. And then March, we went to zero. Uh, That was a really, really tough time. And, you know, it it got to a point where businesses that I know, businesses in the ecosystem or even outside the ecosystems are all shutting down. It became really easy. And I was like, the idea of like moving on from the business was becoming very, very apparent, but I didn't. Uh, That's where now I'm able to look back at that. I was like, okay, like, you know, that was a time where I would have had to answer to no one. Right. And everyone would have understood that, OK, it's COVID. All businesses are shutting down. Uh, it's, it's totally OK. But for me, I was able to push through that. And, uh, you know, that's that's what's kept me going since uh, now. The biggest thing is uh, I want to make sure we have a large team now or, or I guess it's a small size team. But for us, it's large. Uh, a number of people working on the business. Uh, and we just want to make sure that uh, or I just want to make sure I can keep the lights on and keep the business moving forward. So uh, it's my job every day to show up and, and make sure that the business is moving forward. I've wanted to build a sales driven organization from day one. So we're not relying on outside capital or, or grants or anything like that to move the business forward. So that's my job every day to show up, make sure we're, uh, our, our pipeline is full. We're, we're, we're getting new business. And in addition to that, I'm not a burden on anyone. Like I'm not a bottleneck for anyone on my team that uh, everyone has the autonomy that they need to, to be able to move forward and, and get their, their roles uh, moving forward. So it sounds like you got a great opportunity, I guess, is just, a, you know, because you said, you know, you talked a little bit about some of the challenges of being the, the CEO and the founder, et cetera. I guess what keeps you motivated? What keeps you motivated when you, you come in every day? Because you're facing these huge challenges, big opportunities. What keeps you motivated? Yeah, I, I've wanted to do something 
like like this. I've wanted to make an impact for for a long time, and I, what what I see in Boulder is, is an opportunity for me to come in and uh, and first solve a problem that exists in the market. There's thousands of influencers. You mentioned we already we already have five thousand, but there's probably fifty thousand more influencers out there that that we can be working with. These are moms and uh, students, and you know. Uh, some of them are professionals that are just looking to make a, a little bit extra income on our platform every day, uh, which is an amazing thing to be able to do. Uh, some of the other things I look at is this is an app that I built. I I, I found I came across like a, a drawing. I, I had like uh, I drew up this app probably like three years ago, and uh, when I was still you know working on my other business, and I was like, this is this is what it should look like. This is kind of like the user flow. And now this is a real thing that people are using. And so that's the other thing is like, uh, it's, it's amazing to be able to build something uh, and see something in action that I, it was just a thought at, at one point. Yeah. You conceived it. You conceived of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, those are the things, uh, you know, uh, I definitely want definitely want to be able to make my impact in the world. And I think this is just the start of that. Uh, I hope to be able to build this up and scale it up to, to, uh, a company that's uh, not only able to give back to our users, but also our employees, our community, and everything like that, and and uh, build my own foundation for for whatever comes next. That's great. So so if you were gonna if you look back, you've been at this a few years. If you were gonna do something differently, or if you were gonna start again, right? What would you do differently, or would you do anything differently? <laughs> yeah, uh, I think for as a first time founder, um, there's a lot of things that you learn and. Uh, I always say this, uh, I was like, if I was to start again, I could probably get to where I am today in probably like six months, eight months, something something like that, because you just make so many mistakes and uh, you just learn along the way. But um, I think I think one of the things is it's really important to have technical talent in-house. Uh, so I'd probably be looking for like a technical co-founder from the beginning. I think that, that would have been the biggest thing. Other than that, I think from just what I've learned about sales and marketing and uh, everything like that, I think... I've just learned so much from there that uh, I could probably get the same types of customers much, much faster. Uh, just understanding my customers better. I think those are those are some other things. But uh, I think technology is the biggest. Like just having some technical talent in house uh, is is huge. Yeah, in house does the yeah helps you accelerate. So, so that's that's looking back. How, what would you do differently? So let's look forward. So if we look out twenty four months, what what's going to be different about Embold, or what will you have achieved? Yeah, uh, 24 months from now, I'm, I'm really hoping that uh, we're we're in a position where our team is fully scaled, where, you know, for, for me, uh, it's not so much about how many people are on the team. It's about having all of our core functions covered and, and fully operating. So, you know, I want to scale up our, our sales resources, our technology team, everything like that. So I think, I think that's the biggest thing. I'd love to be selling to clients all over Canada, the U.S., uh, and and more clients in Europe, you know, just be like growing the business and and everything like that. Like that's that's a big focus. Is uh, I'd love to be at like probably like from a, from a revenue goal. Uh, Twenty four months from now, our, our our personal revenue goal is to be at at least like fifteen million dollar annual revenue. Like that's our personal goal. So uh, see see where we can go from there. Well, that's great. That's a good, yeah. So that seed money will come in handy to help you scale, right? So, so Umair, if, if listeners want to know more about Embold, what should they do? Yeah, you can uh, visit our website. Uh, it's uh, embold.co. 
you can also check out our Instagram. We're, we're pretty active there as well as our, our LinkedIn. Uh, you can also just connect with me directly uh, on LinkedIn as well. Uh, I'd love to chat and uh, share what we're working on as well. Again, thanks for that, Umir. So thanks for your time today and uh, taking the time today to talk with us. It's great. It's really, uh, it sounds like you guys are on a growth trajectory and I wish you all the best. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is exciting. So thank you. If you did, uh, for the listeners, if you did like the podcast, please subscribe. Look forward to talking again soon. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is brought to you by SAIT's School for Advanced Digital Technology, an innovation hub disguised as a post-secondary institution where creators, educators, and learners, like you, are coming together to transform tomorrow. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.